Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. <laughs> we had a small conflict this morning, but it all worked out, didn't it? So, um, you know, to echo what Mike said, um, I, uh, I was in here earlier this morning, and I was talking with Paul Strange, and Paul and I and Bernie were all in Vietnam about the same time, and I wished Paul a happy Memorial Day. I'm not sure that really makes sense exactly, and he said, yeah, and I said, yeah, we didn't get killed, so it's, it's, it wasn't our day. Our day is in November, Veterans Day, okay? So what we're remembering is this. Thomas Jefferson said that the from time to time, the tree of liberty has to be watered by the blood of patriots. And a million and a half women and men since the founding of our country made that sacrifice. So it's a good thing to remember tomorrow, right? Well, let's jump in. Um, when uh, years ago, Many, many years ago, more than I care to remember, I was elk hunting. And uh, I was hunting with a friend, and we started up high on this ridge, and we dropped down into this valley, and, and we separated. And um, as the day went on, we never saw each other, but as the day went on, the clouds and the fog started coming in. And so I... Uh, because we'd moved around so much, I wanted to get back to the top of that ridge to just kind of see where I was. You know what I mean? So in the afternoon, I'm racing the clouds and the fog to the top of that ridge. I'm puffing and puffing, and it's moving in. And I get to the top of the ridge, and I have about 20 seconds at the most before this shuts down anything. And I get to the top of the ridge, and I look out there, and I don't recognize anything. I have no idea where I'm at. I'm lost. So that's the first time that it ever happened to me. Uh, but I can tell you when I got back to town, I bought a compass. <laughs> Little one that hooks on your button, you know. So today I'd like to talk about a compass because it's important. Uh, it's important. You know, we face a lot of questions in our life, um, like, uh, some are silly, like, did uh, Adam and Eve have belly buttons, you know, or did the trees in the Garden of Eden have rings, you know, kind of silly questions. Sometimes we wonder, why is it that we park in driveways and drive in parkways? Doesn't, doesn't make a lot. How come, how come, how come saying, my house is burning up? is the same as saying my house is burning down. We have these kinds of questions that come along, and one of the biggest questions that we ever face is how come bad things happen to good people? Did you ever ask that? How come bad things happen to good people? You know, uh, Solomon spent some time on that in Ecclesiastes. That was something that was on his mind. How come it? I do all these things in some... No good person gets the fruit of my labors, so to speak. The psalmists cry out, Lord, how come these bad people seem to get your blessing where I don't get 
that blessing or a blessing. You know, we wonder sometimes, why do innocent people suffer? Years ago, I was, uh, I was volunteering to raise some funds for Easter Seals. And Easter Seals is a program that buys um, wheelchairs and braces and things for profoundly disabled children. And as I got more and more involved in that, I found myself asking that question, God, these are innocents. These, these are innocents. These are children, some that can't even move. They can't communicate. They're profoundly disabled. Why? Why? You know, the disciples asked Jesus that question in John 9, uh, and it was about a blind man, and they, <laughs> in their own way, they said, Lord, um, this guy is blind. Was that because of his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus went on to explain what it was, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. But we don't understand why bad things happen to innocent people. Sometimes it's hard to understand why somebody gets a tremendous blessing and then blows it. Um, Think of a lottery winner. Have you ever seen somebody write a book that said, I won the lottery and now I'm happy? I've not seen that. What about athletes and actors and people that have huge financial blessing, and what does it do to them? It just destroys them. How come? They're not bad people. They're good people. But that's what happens, or at least some of them are. I'll bet you everybody in this room knows somebody who is pursuing the Lord. They're living a life of righteousness. They're in the Word. They're in prayer. They're serving in a community of faith. They're doing all those things, and yet calamity strikes their life. Does everybody know somebody like that? And you say, how can that be? The Lord, they're pursuing you. They're standing in the full flow of all that you promised. Why is this happening to them? Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, to understand this, this is the compass part, to understand this, we have to reframe what's going on in our lives. Um, It makes me think of the story about this uh, guy who lived in the Amazon. He was a native person, indigenous native. He lived in the Amazon, and he came to the United States on a student visa. He came to be a student in the United States. And so uh, his host family took him to a football game. They thought he'd like a football game, so they took him to a football game, and everybody here knows football games. People are yelling and screaming and doing all those things, rooting for their team. And so finally the host turned to him and he said, well, well, what do you think? And the guy said, well, where's the quarter? And he said, what do you mean, where's the quarter? He said, well, everybody keeps screaming, get the quarterback. Let's get the quarterback, okay? He completely missed what was happening because he didn't have that compass. He did not have the context. And we have to have the right context to be able to answer that question. And it's not just for us, but it's for those around us. Jesus never said, be selfish, did he? He said, a new command I give you, that you would love one another as I've loved you, love one another. And loving one another is, can be that compass to help people through those questions. And if you understand the reframing, then you have something better to offer than a platitude. 
You have something beyond, well, God's sovereign in your life. It'll all work out in the end, or, or those kinds of things. Because with the right context, you can enter into an exploration to get the answer to that question, why do bad things happen to good people? The context is this. Heaven's invading earth, you know. Heaven's invading earth. Everybody's read Revelation 21, right? Someday, heaven and earth will be washed away, and there'll be a new Jerusalem. There'll be a new heaven, which is, is earth. But for heaven to invade earth in its completeness, God has a plan, and he's bringing us into kind of the ultimate promised land in that sense. But when we arrive, we have to be refined from slavery to the flesh to the royalty of a bride. That's what we have to do. So we're being refined. Now, why is this important? Well, it's important because if we miss it, like me standing on top of that ridge in the fog, I don't know where to go. I have no idea where to go. Consider the people of Israel. Just think about, here they are, 400 years in slavery in Egypt, and uh, God shows up, and miraculously, they're taken out of slavery. Not only that, but they're provisioned. They plunder Egypt, and the Egyptians were happy to give it to them. And they were saved from the army of Pharaoh crossing the sea. I mean... Their problems were over, right? Their ship had sailed, and they had it made. And, of course, we know, no, they didn't. Their problems were just beginning. And the reason they were just beginning is because those people were not able to see beyond their circumstances. So while their circumstances got better as they entered into the desert... They didn't change within. They still believed the lies about themselves, that they weren't powerful, they weren't blessed, and they couldn't trust God. They completely missed it, all but two. And so a generation of slaves had to die in the desert so that free people could enter into the promised land. Now, I'll bet you everybody here, well, maybe that's a little too bold, I'll bet you a lot of people here have had the experience of leading or seeing somebody led to the Lord. And you may recall a lot of times what happens. Maybe it happened for each of us when, when we came into relationship with Jesus. That when you embrace Jesus in your life, your problems are over. Ah, right. No, your problems are just beginning. Your problems are just beginning because what hasn't happened, you may have a move of the Spirit. You may have intellectual knowledge. But until we transform and realize who we are in Christ, then it's very hard to see the promised land. You see what I mean? It's just hard to do that. We have to transform. Now... The enemy gets in this, and what the enemy does is, um, as we're asking these questions, well, God, I know you love me, I know you're a kind God, I know you have mercy, I know you have grace, um, uh, but what about, what about? 
how come? We got the whatabouts and the how comes. How come it's this way? Are you real? Do you care? Are you distant? Are you angry? What are you thinking? And the enemy gets in there, and if we don't have a compass, what happens is we are subject to whatever we can imagine. And we have the blind leading the blind when we're in the context of ministry. So we have to have that compass. We don't arrive fully formed. Anybody here just showed up fully formed? No, of course not. We grow just like Jesus did. We grow in truth and grace. I think it's important to understand that our promises are always found on the other side of our problems. Man, that was good, wasn't it? That was good. Our promises, everybody's looking at me. Yeah, our promises, <laughs> I want to have a drink. That was good. Whew. Uh, you know, our problems are real. Our problems are real. We can't deny it. We can't ignore it. We can't sugarcoat it. We have real problems. But we also have real promises. Jesus went into the wilderness, didn't he? Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted, to be tested. And um, a couple of the gospels say he was led into the spirit, and one of them into the wilderness, and one of them says the spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was tested. And everybody knows that story. But I'm not sure everybody remembers that when Jesus came out, he began his ministry in power. The promises that God had for Jesus were on the other side of the wilderness, and he came back in power, and he moved throughout the land. That's what happened. So when we reframe something, when we look at our compass, we have to recognize the relationship between the promises God has for us in our lives and the problems we're experiencing. Make sense? I could use an amen or amen or something. Thank you. Thank you. So when we go into the wilderness, there's, <clears throat> there's some reasons why these things happen to us. And the first reason is about discipline. Okay? The Lord disciplines whom he loves, right? Now, when I was a kid growing up, I thought of discipline in the context of punishment. You know what I mean? I mean, when I was a little kid, my dad would say to me, you better pull in your horns. And when he said that, I knew that's the last thing he was going to say. And from then on, it was going to be all action. So uh, uh, I learned that. I got that code very well. But that isn't what I'm talking about. Yes, the Lord corrects. The Lord reproves. He does those things. But discipline is also the nature of studying and growing and doing. So we have the discipline of prayer. We have the discipline of fasting. We have the discipline of worship. And so sometimes when bad things are happening to us, it is the Lord bringing discipline in that sense into our life. And sometimes correction as well. You know, our posture about discipline is about learning. And if you would, turn in your Bibles to uh, the Gospel of Matthew in the 18th uh, chapter, verses 2 and 4. Two, two, two through four. 
This is Jesus. He's sitting with his team, the A-team, apostles, the A-team, uh, and calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn, you turn. Hear that? Turn, turn, turn. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is speaking of his own experience. You know, he, he, Paul, Paul wrote a letter to the Hebrews, uh, and in uh, the fifth chapter, verses 7 to 9, Paul said this. He said, he was speaking of Jesus, he said, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So, discipline is one of the reasons that bad things, it looks like bad things, happen to good people. Because we're being trained. We're being trained in obedience. We're being trained in understanding. We're being trained in perspective. So that's a reason. Another reason that these things happen is awakening. Awakening. You see, God uses the pain and the tragedy in this world to awaken people who are spiritually dead. You know, it's like until you get to the end of your rope, Jesus doesn't have a place to begin. Because you're too full of solving your own problems, right? We have to be awakened. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, pain is God's megaphone to arouse a slumbering world. Otherwise, they would comfortably slumber their way into an eternity in hell. Pain and tragedy can shake people out of the belief that their life's going to end well. It can do that. You know, in a way, it's a kindness when God does this because he's saving us. It's like our kids were little and they had to get vaccinations. They'd get a shot. And um, I always said, well, it's going to hurt you more than it hurts me. But it's for you. It is for you in the longer view. They're still mad about that, but... See, tragedy sends a message, and it says life is temporary, life is fragile, and you better make preparations for eternity. The Apostle Peter frames it this way. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 16, he writes and he says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. You're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. 
Yeah, amen. I got it. I heard an amen there. Thank you, Mike. Um, if you suffer, he goes on, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Suffering awakens us. Suffering is a way that we can see how God is moving in our life. Suffering is a way that we can experience how much passion he has for us. Jesus made it plain, and this is the third reason and the final one. Jesus made it plain that he came here to show us God's glory. Is that not true? He came here to show us the glory of God. And we read about this in John 17, 1. This is that amazing place where we see a very intimate picture of the Son and the Father in relationship, in dialogue. And John 17, 1 tells us, When Jesus had spoken these words... He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. The hour, it's here. Now's the time. The hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Now Jesus in saying glorify your Son is talking about the cross. You realize that's the hour. It's the hour of the cross. Not the hour of the resurrection. It's the hour of the cross. That's what he's speaking to. And then how, how does the cross glorify the Father? What's that about? Well, John Piper says this. He says there's two, at least two ways God will get glory and take pleasure in the cross. Now, you've got to think about this, okay? The first way is that God's pleasure is in what the Son is accomplishing by dying. That's getting us. That's atoning for our sin. That's making us acceptable. And the second thing is, how much Jesus suffered in this horrible process was a measure of his love for the Father's glory. You get it? It was a measure of his love for the Father's glory. Piper goes on and he writes this, It was the Father's righteous allegiance to his own name that made recompense for sin necessary. So when the Son willingly took the suffering of that recompense on himself, every footfall on the way to Calvary echoed through the universe this message. The glory of God is of infinite value. The glory of God is of infinite value. Piper ends by saying this, When Jesus died, he glorified the Father's name and saved his Father's people. And since the Father has an overflowing pleasure in the honor of his name, and since he delights with unbounded joy in the election of a sinful people for himself, how then shall he not delight in the bruising of his Son by which these two magnificent divine joys are reconciled and made one? Get that? So, the God that we serve is a God of freedom. 
not independence, okay? He's a God of freedom, and he wants us to be free. Do you realize that in all the things that exist, all the bugs and birds and mammals and reptiles and amphibians and all of these, we're the only, we're the only one that can say, ask the question, why? Why? You know, I don't think a horse ever says, why is this guy riding me? He's heavy. I don't like this. Or, or a fish says, why'd that guy hook me? No. No, we're the only ones because God wants us to come into relationship with him in the way in which he created us, in the way in which he made us, our original design, which was a design for relationship. So our life experiences, whether it's tribulation, whether it's outrageous blessing, whether it's calamity, whatever it may be in our life experiences, there's three questions that we have to ask. Am I being disciplined? Am I being awakened? Or is this something to show God's glory? Remember the blind man in John 9? Jesus did this amazing thing. I, I still, I have to laugh about the apostles and their question, you know. They just sort of assumed either that guy had sinned or his parents had sinned. And Jesus went on to say, no, that's not the case at all. This happened to this man that people would see God's glory. And then he went and he healed him. He spit in the mud and put it on his eyes and the guy could see. And then the next thing that happened is God's glory began to be seen because they get the neighbors in it. The neighbors say, wait a minute, that guy was blind yesterday and and now he's reading the Torah. And the neighbors get in it. And as soon as the neighbors get in it, then they go to their leaders and say, we don't understand. You need to interpret this for us because we don't, this guy was, was uh, blind and now he can see. What's this about? And then the leaders get into it and they can't see anything. They can't see anything. So they say, well, it can't be. He probably was never blind. Okay. You know, I'll make a confession to you. When I hear of a miracle, maybe some of you are this way, maybe you're not, maybe it's just me. When I hear of a miracle, my immediate first thought, my default thinking is to try to explain it some way other than God. Does anybody else here do that? Am I the only one that does that stuff? I mean, I'm like, maybe it was a hallucination. Maybe, 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 maybe. And that's where the Pharisees were. So, if you've got your compass and you're looking at discipline, awakening, and glory then see what God is doing in that context. We cannot... I'd lost my chain of thought there for a minute. My train of thought, whatever. We cannot... We cannot develop the character that God put in us absent options. Let me say that again. We cannot develop the character that God put in us absent options, choices. If there is no choice, then you don't need character. You see what I mean? But when we have choices, then we have to reach into our character to say, who am I? Who am I? If we walk down the street and there's a $20 bill laying on the ground, there's nobody around, we're not going to leave it there. 
We're going to pick it up, and then we face some choices. And those choices cause us to connect with the character that God put in us, which, oh, by the way, is his nature and character, isn't it? We connect with that. And in connecting with that, we learn something more about our character. Have you ever had the experience where you told the truth and you were punished for you for it? You, you told, you know, and it didn't seem to work out. Maybe not, but what worked out was in you. It was that internal transformation. We have to move beyond circumstances in our life, good or bad. Paul said, I've learned to abide, didn't he? In plenty and in scarcity. We cannot guide our life based on our circumstances. We have to look at what God is doing in our lives. We have to be able to do that. And we have to be able to help others. So choices throw us into conflict. And sometimes it looks unfair. Sometimes it looks tragic. Sometimes it looks painful. And sometimes it even looks pointless. But I assure you it's not pointless. Because God is always present. And God is always doing something in our lives. Even when it hurts. So when we leave here today... Does anybody, let me pose the question, does anybody here imagine that when you walk out the door today, your problems are over? That you're not going to encounter stuff? That, that you're not going to have your heart pierced by a circumstance in your own life or somebody else's? I wish it were so. I don't think it is, do you? No. So, here's the point. We're already equipped for victory. We are fully furnished. God has put everything in us that we need to have. The people of Israel had everything, but they could not see it. They weren't able to see it. The way you see it is by looking through the lens of heaven. You hold your compass and you say, wait a minute, am I being disciplined? Am I being awakened to something? Is God showing me his glory? How many times do we we sing that and we cry out, show us your glory, show us your glory? But we have to ask those questions of ourselves because those are the real questions. We're already equipped for victory. God's already been here before. No matter where we are in our life, God's outside of time. He knew us from the beginning of the world before we were ever created, and he already knows how it's going to work out. So we're already equipped for victory. You see, a generation of untransformed slaves died in the desert. All but two. Today, no generation needs to die. And in fact, no one needs to die at all. Why? Because one man... Jesus, just one man, Jesus, died for all and resurrected us into the freedom for him. All we have to do is see it. All we have to do is see it. 
we're always going to have problems. In, in uh, John 16, 33, Jesus presents the problem. And he says, in the world, there will be tribulation. In the world, there will be tribulation. That's a problem. We're going to all experience tribulation. 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 We're going to experience that. But then Jesus presents the promise. And, and he says, um, But I give you the promise of peace because I've overcome the world. So we have to move through tribulation, but that's what allows us to access the promise of peace because he did overcome the world. I have a really hard time talking about these things and confining my thoughts to me. And the reason I have a hard time with that is because I wasn't called to minister to me. Nobody in this room is called just to minister to you. And the compass that we're talking about here and the ability to ask that question of any person who comes to you and they're stricken, they're hurting, they're troubled, they're angry, they're confused, whatever it is, the ability to be able to ask those questions can transform a life for Jesus. We got the great co-mission. We go together with Jesus, a co-mission. Go into the world and make disciples of all people. Disciples, discipline, learning and growing. Being more awakened and seeing the glory of God. Is that a good word? That's a good word. Amen. Thank you for listening to me this morning. I appreciate it. Well, let's stand. Let us stand. I don't know if we have any surviving ministry team here. I know we do have a couple. Come on down, ministry team. I hope I provoked you. Well, yeah, I do. I do. To think, not to rush the platform and lay hands on me, but to, to think. <laughs> Maybe God's stirring something in your life this morning. Maybe you didn't plan on this when you walked in the door. Maybe there's a little piece of transformation that you need to pray with somebody about and try to get a perspective. Am I being awakened? Is this a disciplining thing? Is this just God's glory falling on me? If that's you when we leave, be sure to come down here and get prayer. Okay? Maybe someone here has suddenly become aware that Jesus is knocking on their heart. If that's you, don't let a minute go by. Don't walk out this door. Come down here and get prayer and meet the Lord. Meet the Lord. My prayer for you is that you walk out of here carrying the power of the Holy Spirit. That you remember what happened to you last week and can see places where you were receiving discipline or you were receiving an awakening or you were receiving a glory. Can we do that? Bless you all. We'll see you next week. Have a fantastic holiday. Thanks.